And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. My fellow Americans, welcome back to another episode of the Inspired Service Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Scheinbaum, and I'm really pleased to be joined today by Ashley Gazich, a volunteer with the C-19 Coalition who is working on reopening here in America. Ashley, thanks so much for taking some time today. It's great to have you. Noah, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. So, Ashley, you've been part of an effort since February, really, that is bringing together an incredible array of American ingenuity of the public and private sector to work on some of the most difficult issues that we're facing as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. I am really, I'm excited to talk about all of your work. Uh, I think there's a lot of goodness here, but I want to start way back when, in the very, very distant past, in February 2020, before COVID hit, what were you doing? Noah, if you'd asked me about a year ago where I thought I would be today, I would tell you back in software. Um, So back in fall 2019, I was working for Microsoft and moved across the country and was kind of doing this reevaluation of where I wanted my career to go, how I wanted the next year to play out, you know, some of that personal goal setting. And I decided to take a break from software, give myself a little bit of a sabbatical, settle into a new area after moving across the country. And that was in November. Just a few weeks into my break, I began following the story of COVID unfolding. And I really you know, wasn't sure where things would go, but I found it super interesting and frankly, quite frightening. Um, and I thought as connected as the world is, there's, there's no way that it's, it's not going to wind up you know, on our front door. So following the news around February, I started looking to use this free time that I'd intended to travel and kind of brush up on some of my skills for my job. And really, I was just kind of looking for, you know, how can I help? I'm reading, reading the news and seeing these videos of doctors and having a tremendously hard time, communities being shut down, China taking very, very aggressive measures to control coronavirus. And I, I just, I, I had to help. It's something that is really deeply ingrained in my family's values. No matter what you have, um, no matter where you are in life, you always have something that you can offer to the community. And so funnily enough, through software, I'd, I'd learned of Eric Reese, who is one of the C19 Coalition founders, and implemented some of his practices for lean methodologies in my job at Microsoft. So it's really interesting that my role as a software PM prepared me to jump into this new challenge because my work was a lot of connecting with customers, really getting to the themes of their needs, understanding these challenges that we don't have solutions for. And sometimes we're not even sure where to start, but going out, having those conversations and figuring out what we can do right now very quickly was a great starting point for me. Wow. So there's, there's so much there. We'll get, we'll get into all of that. I, I think that's a, a really interesting kind of tie-in to your, your PM role and what you're doing now. Um, did you have a plan for the sabbatical? Like, was it a learn to surf type sabbatical or did you have any idea of, of how you were going to be spending your time if global pandemic wasn't kind of on the agenda for the year? 
Well, one side of my family is Mexican, so I planned to spend some time visiting where my family is from. I'm a mountain biker. I'd hoped to do some mountain biking and some traveling um, and really just kind of explore some personal interests. I was dabbling in designing furniture for my, my home office. And so, wow. um, yeah, just really looking to kind of relax and unwind. Software is pretty intense sometimes. <laughs> I, I can imagine. It's really too bad you didn't get to finish the home office furniture design before you then spent the next nine months in your home office. The timing was so close. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it is what it is. It's been a crazy year. Absolutely. So, hey, you, you talked about your family a little bit um, and, and kind of the, the value and the, the ethos of, of helping out um, no matter what you have and no matter where you are. Talk, to, talk a little bit about that. What's kind of in your family background that's made service in that way such a core part of, of what you care about and who you are? Well, a couple things. I grew up in a small town in north central Florida, and there are only about 250,000 people there. So it's very hard to go somewhere and not run into someone that you know. There's a, a really strong sense of community and people are just friendly. You know, you go into the grocery store, people say, hi, how are you doing? Can I help you with this? And it's just, it's a really nice thing to have. Um, and with my family, um, I grew up in a Christian home and I, I mentioned, I think earlier, my grandmother is a Mexican immigrant and she's, you know, she's been a, a real role model for me. She moved into a, a pretty remote part of area, I, a remote part of Florida, and she has just always been one of the, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps types of people. And hardship is not something that stops her, whether it's starting her own businesses, um, whether it's literally clearing her land by hand and with a machete <laughs> from Florida Palmettos. She's just always been a super hard worker. And, you know, no matter what, what little bit she had, she was always very willing to share it with anyone else in need, whether it was a ride to the store, dropping off some food, something like that. And that has been passed down through the generations. So, you know, growing up in, in North Central Florida, where people are just always asking, you know, how can, how can I help you? Do you need me to carry this kind of thing for you? Folks looking to make donations and those sorts of things. It's just really been kind of a, a community value that I've grown up with. That's awesome. I, I am a big believer that, you know, those types of lessons are really sticky. And, and if you see that and you have that kind of example um, when you're around growing up, it's just, it's hard to shake it, right? It's just something that feels right and normal. Uh, so a lot of respect. If we fast forward a bit, <laughs> you've kind of had those, those lessons, that, that desire to help, um, whether it's your proximate community and the folks who are nearby or the, the community at large. And so you just moved across the country. You truly supplanted one community with another. COVID-19 hits. You start watching case numbers and, and uh, rising and, uh, and all of the difficulties happening both here and the U.S. and abroad. And you decided you wanted to, to help. Now, you, sound, you have your background in software. You've got roots in different parts of the country. I'm sure there were any number of different things you could have done uh, to roll up your sleeves and get involved. Talk through your thought process a little bit. What did what were you weighing? What were the options? And how did you settle on where you ended up diving in? Frankly, that was a really just throw out as many applications to volunteer as I could with a number of different organizations. 
Um, if you remember back in, in early spring, there were just so many volunteer efforts that popped up and everyone was trying to help. And so I went through a few different programs trying to find out, you know, am I a fit here? And I don't have a, a medical background. So some of the projects that I tried were, were too, too intense on the medical side and you know, beyond my, my technical expertise. But I thought that if I just kept looking, I would find the right fit. And so help with COVID um, came up maybe on my Twitter timeline, I think. And so I, I joined in there because it was a giant collection of a number of different projects. And I thought, surely I'll find something here. And one day, one of the help with COVID events came up was a question and answer with Eric Reese. So I thought, ah, I know that name, relevant to my work as a, as a software person. So joined in, Eric gave a quick overview of what he'd been working on, some challenges that he foresaw as, you know, coming up in the next few months and had an open offer and said, hey, if you want to help, contact me, you can email me, you can you know, reach me on Twitter. And I thought, this is crazy. This is a name that is known nationally and he's making himself super accessible. So I, I tweeted at him and wasn't sure that I'd hear back, but within just a couple of hours, he answered and connected me with the folks on the C19 Coalition team for onboarding. So Eric Reese, the author of The Lean Startup, kind of one of the leading lights, guiding lights, if you will, in the entrepreneurial community and in the software community. Uh, yeah, that's that's crazy impressive. It's one of the ways that, despite all the backlash that social media gets nowadays, uh, there's some there's some good in terms of connectivity and the ways in which you know folks are now accessible in ways they weren't before. That's super cool. Um, let's maybe pause for a second. So, what is the C19 Coalition? What was it that Eric and his team were were building that you were able to um, to kind of hop on board and and help them take to the next level? The C19 Coalition started out in March as the National PPE Coalition, and it was all about getting those PPE supplies to frontline workers. And the thought initially was that it would exist for maybe a few short weeks until a larger, um, presumably government effort took over. However, as COVID continued unfolding, it became increasingly apparent that this was a very, very big challenge. And so we expanded to become the C-19 Coalition to reflect the fact that we were looking at end-to-end -end supply chain issues, whether that's manufacturing, distribution, understanding where supplies need to go, or grassroots efforts for donations. And so what we are focused on today, there are kind of three, three verticals of work, if you will. One is increasing the supply of PPE. One is bridge financing for hospitals, which was especially important in the early days when there were very aggressive payment terms, high minimum order quantity requirements, all of that sort of stuff. And then the third aspect is information and intelligence sharing so that we can optimize our impact. So really the, the kind of overarching theme to the C19 Coalition is a partnership network that helps build connections across the COVID response ecosystem to accelerate impact because partnership is the most essential thing that we can do. We don't have the time to go rebuild the wheel for all of these separate efforts, but if we can, if we can partner organizations together so that they can ramp up their, their work even faster, that's where we really start seeing the great returns on those sorts of efforts. Absolutely. So partnership 
being the key to all of this, I think will resonate with, with many folks who recognize there are just, even when you think about the scale of this pandemic, there are so many, uh, you know, different entry points, uh, whether it's local hospitals, whether it's local, state, federal governments, there's just so many different places uh, that, that, are, that people can go or that uh, or organizations that are trying to get involved. Partnership makes sense at a conceptual level. In practice, what does that really mean? Is that you all reaching out to companies that you think could help? Was it, was it kind of a, a push or pull, people coming to you or, or you know, a lot of outreach being um, at the core of it? I would say it's a little bit push and a little bit pull, and that kind of evolves as the crisis has unfolded. So for instance, one of our partners is the state of California. Um, there's, a, there's an initiative called Safely Making California, and the goal there is for California-made PPE to be supplied to California businesses to support reopening. So if we're looking at something like that sort of scale, it's, you know, how can we, how can we facilitate this effort? Another example would be where I personally reached out to an organization in San Diego called the Chicano Federation because they are a nonprofit that's been around for over 50 years. They have some really phenomenal community support programs that they've been running for decades. They know their community, they're well-trusted, they know what, what's needed, you know, on the ground here. And so, I thought, hey, we have all of these incredible partners in the coalition. Why don't we connect them with the folks who are doing the, the very hands-on work on the ground and help broadcast what they're doing in a way that could be nationally scalable? So for instance, the Chicano Federation has been running PPE kit distribution campaigns. So about $50 can supply a family of four with PPE for approximately 30 days. They've worked out the numbers, they know what they need, they know how to run this program end to end super effectively. And as you, as you know, the communities that were already under-resourced are seeing that even more so throughout the pandemic. So the folks that need help need it even more now. And by amplifying the work of nonprofits and organizations who have those strong community trust ties, we can really help get that type of, of impact out nationally. And really that's what it's about. How can we put together best practices and playbooks that others can learn from? I, I mean, the scale is enormous and anything you can do to begin shipping away, that makes good sense. The other piece of that that I, I wonder about is the staying power of some of these lessons and some of the information sharing that you're doing, right? I, I think the frenetic or frantic kind of attention cycles and news cycles, even as this thing's been going on nearly a year, I, you know, one of the things I've noticed is just the, the, the leapfrogging from topic to topic where you go from PPE to ventilators to, to personnel to testing to contact tracing to now vaccines and, and kind of back again as cases ebb and flow. What do you see as the prospects for, for some of this sticking? Do you think, are we, are we learning? Are we getting better at, at some things as we go through another wave here? Or does it feel like recreating the wheel each and every time? I would say that at a high level, there are definitely things that we've learned that, that 
can and should continue through future response efforts. In some ways, you know, we're, we're seeing the PPE shortages pop up again. We're seeing emergency rooms and hospitals being overwhelmed. And that's a challenge. But some of the lessons learned, I would say, are applicable to a variety of circumstances, whether that's understanding, you know, how we should present some of the data on what the needs are. So let's talk about schools. That's a really tough topic. You know, there are arguments both for and against whether or not they should reopen. And it's stressful for the teachers. It's stressful for the parents. It's stressful for the students themselves. But we've, we've seen the costs to both sides. And so being able to plan for the future, you know, if, if there is a crisis, what are the most essential things that we need to focus on to keep our keep our economy and our society running? Um, the essential workers, the folks who are doing the farm work, the food processing, all of those sorts of things, America has to eat no matter what. So regardless of the type of crisis that may arise in the future, we know that they are a group that we absolutely need to take care of. Likewise, students and educators, what are the things that we can do that will help society in the immediate, whether it's food supply chain stability or you know, what happens when schools close down, and then thinking about the longer term effects, what happens in 40 years when we, we look at the career mobility of students who had learning losses due to school closures. Absolutely. The timeframes, I think, are one of the, the toughest things to grapple with in this situation because everything feels so compressed and it's there's so many urgent things to do that some of the important longer term implications are they're harder to study, they're harder to uh, really to think about at any given moment. So I appreciate kind of that that two front view that you have. And it sounds like, I mean, you guys have done so much. Tell us, tell us a, a story or two. What, what are you, when you look back at, at over the, the course of the year, everything you've done, what brings you pride? What brings you hope? What brings you optimism? We just had an update from Eric and Joe, two of the co-founders of the coalition. And the coalition partners have shipped uh, a billion units of PPE. And that's something I'm, I'm really, really proud to be a part of. And it's just so encouraging to see, you know, day to day, we might not know exactly what those kind of wins are in a quantifiable way. It's kind of hard to know, you know, hey, I'm, I'm having this conversation with folks in Alaska. I'm having a conversation with folks in Nevada. I'm talking to a supplier based in California. And sometimes it feels like those things don't really have a concrete effect at the end of, you know, a single day. But when you look back on a week or on a month, um, seeing the, the steady growing impact of being able to get PPE to schools and to small community health clinics and the, you know, the people who are really just out there every day on the front lines who are helping us keep the country running. Um, every little bit that I can do to support that is just a huge honor and something I'm really proud of. You know, it's been kind of a challenge to figure out, okay, what are the things that I can do in my own capacity to support these efforts? And so I've looked at three primary verticals of work for the, the initiatives that I'm running. One is PPE for schools. One is PPE for farm workers and food supply chain stability. And then another is going back to those community-based organizations and understanding how I can support their efforts 
through our, our partnerships and our, our networks at the C19 Coalition and amplify them. One of the things that we're seeing right now is that there are a lot of public messages out around holiday travel and the importance of maintaining social distance and mask wearing. And it's hard because we're all, we're all really tired of doing this. We miss our friends. We miss our families. We miss life as we knew it. But this is a long, hard effort, and people are being asked to make sacrifices. And as part of that, you know, you kind of have to think, well, what are the things that I can do to optimize the impact that I personally can have? So, you know, the, the things that, that really have brought me personal kind of joy and encouragement is seeing the fruit of the efforts from the coalition, you know. Um, just today, we had a $2,000 donation come in for NHBCU. And, you know, again, going back to reopening being a really tough decision. Um, it's scary to go back to school when, when COVID's out there, when you know that you might not have the health resources that you need. But it's also just scary to think about what happens if the HBCUs don't reopen, because if they don't, they're forced to close. And so being able to help make PPE connections for those sorts of donations happen is really, really wonderful. Um, another story is, you know, again, going back to the Chicano Federation, they, they've distributed 5,000 PPE kits so far. And so being able to work with them and kind of plan their strategy, you know, how do we, how do we get the story out in front of our partners? What are the things that we can ask our partners to do right now to help? And further, how can they kind of plan for the future and get that message out to their network? So if you're looking at San Diego County, where I am, it's, it's been a little while since I checked the numbers, but around 60% of the COVID infections were in the Latino community and around half of the deaths are in the Latino community. So you see that disproportionate impact and talking to the folks who are out there every day talking to the community and saying, hey, what do you need? Hey, how can I help you? And being able to support those programs that, you know, get out those 5,000 PPE kits. That's 5,000 people who otherwise would not have had resources and kind of are in some ways almost invisible to a large part of the response ecosystem. But that's changing because there are a lot of efforts now that are really looking at the vulnerable communities that disproportionately impacted and underserved communities. So being able to make those connections has been really, really wonderful. Another awesome story, there's the Rasmussen Foundation in Alaska. And they'd reached out because they were trying to figure out how to get PPE to some of the smaller health clinics and social service um, organizations before winter sets in. Because, um, as you know, Alaska is quite chilly. And once winter arrives, it's a, a whole different type of logistics challenge. And so through some conversations with them um, and talking about, you know, how do we figure out logistics for getting PPE to tribal communities and to schools, that spawned a totally different type of conversation where they built out this amazing plan with logistics partners that really covers like end-to-end -end scenario. And so seeing those types of conversations spawn and um, fill in some of the gaps where help was needed, but we didn't have an answer has just been really incredible. It's a lot of, I mean, the body of work and accomplishment is, is really stark. I imagine that seeing all this, being a part of all this has also changed you personally. I know this was supposed to be a sabbatical year for you. 
how has this informed kind of your vision for the future? Are there things you're now considering that you never would have considered before? Or, or have you had a moment to think about what comes next? That's something I'm still working through. When I was in software, I really loved that job. I was working in developer tools, so um, helping make software for software developers. And it was, you know, it was a lot of fun. But having seen what's happening in the world now and knowing that we've still got some work ahead of us, I'm really looking to kind of stay in this space where the way that I spend my time has a very real impact on folks because the best thing that I can offer anyone right now is help. Um, it's hard, you know, it's a hard time and people are losing their jobs. Again, you know, we can't see our families and all of that sort of stuff. And so for me personally, being able to help is extremely motivating. And it's also just really encouraging to be able to connect with so many people who are in this response ecosystem. Because at the end of the day, there are so many good people out there who want to help. And sure, you know, we don't all have the answers, but if you kind of, you know, put your flag up and say, hey, I'm here to help, what can I do? You'll find that people will come running towards you to take you up on that offer. And there are so many really just cool, inventive ideas out there. So through, through my kind of community outreach to find, you know, hey, who, who else is out in the COVID space? What are you doing? Um, I connected with a group called Research. They're based in Washington State. And I actually met them through the Microsoft Alumni Network. And so one of the stories that they had on their on their community spotlight is with the Utah COVID response team. There was a super interesting program where they ran a survey of small businesses to understand, uh, you know, what the PPE needs were kind of early in, uh, I believe it was early, maybe summertime. So they ran this survey and said, okay, you know, uh, businesses, I think it was 50 employees or less, what do they need? And so in Utah, the alcoholic beverage control service is still state run. So they did this really cool program where they understood through the survey, you know, what the businesses need and then used ABC's trucks to leverage their logistics lines and get PPE to those small businesses who otherwise would have been outside of the, the typical PPE supply chain and ordering and distribution programs. So that kind of creativity and inventiveness is just really awesome to see. And you never know when a conversation that you have that you're like, okay, well, I'm not sure I can use this today, but guaranteed within a couple of weeks, something else will come up where you're like, hey, let me introduce you to so-and-so because they were working on something similar. And again, it all goes back to those partnerships. So one of the things that I really think about is, you know, that, that kind of one degree of separation. People are open to talking about how you can help and whether you have, you know, a couple of hours a month or a few dollars to donate or a platform to lend, anything that you can do is, is so welcome. And you can still help even if you're at home self-isolating or quarantining. It's a key message. It's really important. And I think it's certainly something that, that we at the Civilian Corps believe as well, which is people want to help. We got to show them the way sometimes. And I think being proactive is such an important part of that in, in visualizing what might be possible and where your network and where your you know, connections and skills may lie. That's going to be the best guide of any in terms of showing you kind of where, where to look. But I think we as a, as a country and, and organizations like C19 uh, and others can, can help you know, enable some of these service opportunities um, by making it possible, by making it visible to people 
how they can give back and, and participate in some of these really difficult problem sets. Which actually brings me to, to one more question about the future, and that's with respect to C19. You know, the pandemic is far from over. Yes, there seem to be some great results coming out of vaccine trials, which are super encouraging. Still have a massive distribution problem. And, and between now and the time of kind of full population vaccination, there's, there's a lot of time. And there's unfortunately, you know, quite a lot that could, that could happen between now and then. How are you all thinking about the future of the C19 coalition? Uh, is that something that will live on past this pandemic? I would say the, the need for PPE is going to continue. So we'll keep up those efforts. Looking forward with uh, the administration change and the, you know, the work ahead with the Biden administration, we're, we're you know, exploring what can we do to help there? Is there a way for us to, to mobilize the network that we have, the relationships that we've built, and understanding you know, where do our partners want to, to be in all of this? So looking forward, you know, we're talking about the vaccine distribution and all of that stuff. So I definitely think that the conversations ahead about how we can help are, they're in progress. Um, and we're looking forward to seeing what we can do to continue to help. Fantastic, Ashley. No, it's uh, certainly grateful to all of you for what you're doing. When you think back on, on kind of the last you know, couple months, are there, are there one or two like key takeaways that, that you want to share with folks? What, how is, I mean, I think a lot of folks are, will have a lot of admiration and respect for what you've chosen to do and what you've been able to accomplish in that time. How would, you, how would you summarize the experience? Is there a way that it's, that it's changed you, that it's affected you, or that it's informed you? I would say the greatest thing that you can do in trying to help is, is be bold, because a lot of this is still undefined. And even though there might not be a clear path forward, you can be part of that by reaching out and taking action today. And a lot of this for me has been really assimilating a lot of information from a lot of different conversations and understanding how the pieces fit together. And the other thing I would say is be creative. You never know what kind of ideas will stick until you throw them out there. And, you know, again, like thinking about Utah's program with using what we kind of jokingly call the booze trucks to get PPE out. Would we have done that before? I don't know. But, you know, there are just so many creative things that come out of these discussions that it's really worth just, you know, kind of brainstorming and presenting new ideas because it's what we need. That inventiveness is inherently one of the things that makes America just incredible. We all have these different experiences and perspectives and we all come from different walks of life. And when we work together, that really can become something truly impactful. Fantastic. Thanks, Ashley. I, I really do appreciate everything that you've been able to do and, and your leadership for C19 and, and your partnership with USCC on a couple of things as well. I think that's a, that's a really good place uh, to, to, to wrap up. I know we've got to let you go here. Before, before we do, any final messages or thoughts uh, that you want to leave with our listeners? A couple things. One is we're not, we're not out of the woods yet. So please continue to adhere to that guidance that's coming out from the public health channels. I know that it's tough and I know that it's challenging and I, I'll thank you now for your, your sacrifices through this time. But this is, this is a crucial point where the country needs you to take action individually today. 
Another thing is if you have the if you have the time and inclination and would like to get involved, please do. There are so many wonderful organizations that would love to have your help, whether it's the C19 Coalition itself or folks like Get Us PPE, which is a, a nonprofit grassroots organization getting those PPE donations out to the front lines, um, or someone like Project N95, which is vetted marketplace for supplies. You know, there are so many great places that just really need your, they need, they need all hands on deck. That's a great point, Ashley, is if, if there are folks out there listening who are with organizations or with governments who maybe could benefit from some of the things that uh, C19 does, where should they go? How should they get in touch with you to, to maybe make a request or to learn if partnership is possible? One of the easiest ways to get in touch is through email. Um, that is info at c19coalition.org. You can also find us on Twitter um, and through there, whether it's, it's time, we'd love to connect you with, you know, a volunteer opportunity. If someone has supply donations, those are always, always, always welcome. And if someone would like to financially contribute, we have vehicles for that as well. This work is not going away. Again, we're volunteer run. So anything that, you know, that folks have the capacity to contribute is, is so welcome. For more episodes of the Inspired Service Podcast, please visit us at www.inspiredservice.org and subscribe on iTunes.